It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, figure skating legend and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Coach, if you are serious about your coaching career and serious about telling the right story, what is the brand that you're going out to your prospects with? What is the story that you're actually telling before you get to speak to the prospect, your players, the parent that you're going to be talking to? That's the big question we're going to try to answer today. We have a fantastic guest here on the podcast, a coach that's actually, I think, one of the better coaches in the country at doing this. Uh, And you're going to learn a lot from him because that topic and that answer to that question is so important that uh, it's, it's something that I think a lot of coaches don't think about until they become a head coach or get to their dream program. But there's so much that goes into that effort of branding yourself effectively that actually will lead you to that dream program or to lead you to the next promotion. And so that's what today's broadcast and podcast is all about, is that effort to figure out what is your brand, how do you tell that story. And that's one of the primary things we're going to be talking about on the podcast today. Before we get to it, uh, I want to talk about some other things that uh, that I think will will sort of lend itself to the conversation. And there's some things that are going on in college sports right now, and and in the world that uh, are that, that we have our attention to that I think will affect your recruiting career. And the and the first thing is going to be the. 2016 presidential election. Uh, as I'm sitting here recording this podcast right now, prior to the election, of course, we don't know the results. Uh, it's close, like every other presidential election uh, uh, purports itself to be, and I'm sure it's going to be uh, close. And you know, rather than talking politics, I want to talk about the lessons you can learn from a presidential election, because there are so many parallels to how these candidates uh, conduct themselves and tell their stories and campaign for votes and the way that you as a coach go out after recruits, tell your story, campaign for their commitments. Uh, the two run parallel. And granted, we may you know, look at the candidates involved in this election and say, I'm going to do it a lot differently than they would. But at the core, it's the same effort. It's the same to, it's the effort to win over someone that maybe at first wasn't thinking that they were going to be interested in you or to commit to you. And how do you move them through that process of coming to understand you and your message a little bit better, buying into your brand, and then finally uh, voting or committing to you. Um, the latest uh, uh, the latest blog post that I have kind of answers that question or at least analyzes it from uh, you know the election day uh, um, the election day, uh, view and and so you can look that up. It's all about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and what you can learn about recruiting from their campaigns. And there are some valuable lessons in that. There's also some earlier articles that we've done both for this campaign as well as just earlier, uh, you know, throughout the years on our blog at dantutor.com. 
slash blog, or you can just go to the website and look at recruiting blog. And in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see a search box, a keyword search, and just put in election or put in uh, Donald Trump or put in Hillary Clinton. And you should come up with a series of articles that we've done over the years regarding presidential, presidential elections and how they can be used to kind of improve your recruiting efforts. Um, so that's one thing I would point you to today because these elections happen and, and you know, we're, we're passionate about the, uh, finding our next leader and, and debating the issues. And there are so many good lessons in that for a college coach because that's really what you're doing with these recruits. You are debating with them in some cases, but definitely selling your program uh, over a long period of time, and it is a recruiting campaign that you're involved with. And so, what are the lessons that uh, that you can learn from uh, from campaigns? Because they're involved the same way that you are in in trying to win over the vote. So, I would encourage you to go through and figure out what are the things that you can take away from the election and incorporate into your recruiting campaign. And that can all be done on our our blog at dantutor.com. One of the more interesting, uh, moving away from the election and going into some, some news that I find really interesting. Um, from the past this past week, um, news that the NCA is now going to give money for academic achievements uh, in college uh, athletic programs, um, and this this big change kind of in how they award money is going to take effect during the 2019 and 2020 academic year. It is really focused on and exclusive for Division One schools. Uh, and just looking at uh, an article from CNN Money, they quote that some of the revenue from Division One athletics will be given to schools based on how well their student-athletes perform in terms of graduation rates and other academic uh, metrics. And uh, this, this money is going to be in the range of $330 million, so not an insignificant sum. And it's coming, interestingly, from the new eight-year $8.8 billion multimedia basketball deal for college basketball and March Madness. Uh, so they're going to take a portion of that money and award it out to, uh, out to schools uh, based on their academic success. Now, a couple of thoughts that I have on this. The first being that any time that money is being dedicated to academics, uh, that's a great thing. And so I, I applaud the NCA for doing that. Um, my if I, but having been involved in on sort of uh, some of the inside of what goes on in college athletics and watching some things unfold, here would be my two sort of red flags that I would look for if I'm looking at uh, this as as kind of the uh, a uh, just being a little pessimistic. about your individual brand, Coach. That's not a, a question that we find a lot of college recruiters ask themselves, but there's one coach who does, and he has impressed me for years in the way that he markets himself to both his recruits, his team, and his future employers. 
And uh, what makes him interesting is that he is not uh, a multi-million dollar head coach. He's an assistant coach, has been for some time, and I have no doubt at some point he is going to be a head coach. Uh, But Jeff Osterman is an assistant basketball coach at the University of South Florida. He and I have been friends for years. I respect the heck out of him. He has spoken at our National Collegiate Recruiting Conference that we do every June for college coaches. Uh, And what makes him different than most coaches, I find, is the way that he puts an emphasis on his own personal brand. Uh, from the website that he does bearing his name to the materials that he'll hand to a recruit and and just ready to hand to anybody that, that might uh, be able to further his basketball coaching career. He is one of the best in the business, in my opinion. And the reason I specifically chose him for this topic was because he isn't a head coach. Uh, he is not a household name yet. And and I think that many of you that are listening to this probably put yourself in the same situation or the or in that same category. Then maybe some of you are thinking, well, when I become a head coach, I'll worry about my brand, or when I run my own program or or have a higher salary, I'll then worry about um, how I brand myself and what I, what kind of story I tell to my recruits or to my players. And Jeff Osterman blows all that out of the water and does a great job at making the case as to why every coach should be concerned with his or her own brand. And that's what we talked to him about recently uh, as, as we kind of explore this topic of how do you build and brand yourself not only for your recruits, but for your team. Uh, so with that, we started our conversation with Coach Osterman based on from from an athletic organization based on grades and the more that that becomes part of the the fabric of how schools operate and money that they're counting on to uh, to uh, operate their athletic departments and their their institutions it it, it seems like it would open the door for uh, more questionable activity and again, this is looking way, way ahead, and I hope that none of these things happen. Uh, but in talking to one or two coaches about this over the weekend, those are some of the same things that they had had popped into their mind. So I know I'm not the only one that is is thinking about this. Um, like I said, hopefully that is something that that doesn't take place. Um, but if it does, then you know it. I, I'm I'm just fearful that it opens the door for. Uh, the NCA is being looked at as a as a, a cash cow that colleges uh, are going to fixate their uh, uh, their focus on as a way to fund their athletic programs. And who knows? I mean, maybe that's the way it should be. Uh, there's a lot of criticism of how the NCA operates and the fact that they are an organization that has an incredible amount of money. And so maybe that is something that they will morph into is that they it will be sort of more shared money coming from the NCAA directly out to academic uh, institutions uh, to help them operate their, their athletic departments. So it's just an, a very interesting uh, development in, in and response from the NCAA uh, for the past years of people 
that have been looking at them and saying, um, the NCA has so much money. What are they doing with all of it? How can it directly and, and, and more directly benefit student athletes? And this might be one of the ways that they're beginning uh, to do that. I just hope that it stays uh, pure in its intent and doesn't turn into something that um, that you know now becomes uh, like a, a budget battle in politics where both sides are, are negotiating back and forth. Um, but we'll just have to see. And it doesn't take effect now until you know for several years, for th- the next three or four years. So if there are any wrinkles in the approach, it'll hopefully be ironed out. And uh, it'll be a great thing for both the athletes and the students at these schools. But it's just a very interesting development. That was the big news item for me this week. Before we get to our interview, uh, I want to take time to answer some questions. Uh, and in these podcasts, you can ask questions for me on Twitter at Dan Tudor, D A N T U D O R. When you ask them, we're, we're going to answer them. And so we got two from the, the premiere episode, which, as you might remember, if you downloaded it and listened to it, it was all about being first. And so Jeremy asks the question. Uh, I'm not sure that being first is a big plus in recruiting. My worry is that if we jump out too far in front with a recruit, they'll get bored with us and forget about us at the end. Am I wrong in feeling that way? Uh, my response to Jeremy would be, I don't think you're, you're wrong in feeling that way because if it's mismanaged through the process, uh, I think there is a danger in them forgetting about you at the end. And I think this is true for any college coach. We get this a version of this question quite a bit when we're doing workshops on campuses or when we start working with a program as a client. That's one of the first things that they, they want us to try to help figure out for them. Um, most coaches realize the importance of being first. That's why we made it our first topic on the premier episode of College Recruiting Weekly, the podcast. Uh I would say that when when you are jumping out and establishing that that first contact with that recruit, that first part of that relationship, um, there's going to be uh, a response or a good chance of it. There's that interest. Where it falls apart, we find is that as the t- as time goes on, coaches don't know what to say. Coaches run out of things to say because they sort of spend it all in that that first uh, that first week or two, or uh, the first two or three contacts, and they don't have anything else to say. So part of my answer, Jeremy, is when you are worried about them getting bored, um, I would sort of circle back and and ask you the question: Why are they getting bored with what you're? saying. Uh, it probably comes down then to two things, how you're saying it and what you're talking about. Um, I know that, again, going back to when we work with a program as a client, and when I say that, we help programs actually produce the messaging that goes out to their recruits. We suggest and write text that they can send to their recruits and, uh, and, and basically help tell their story over a longer period of time. But, but when you're doing it on your own, what you have to do is figure out, number one, what's boring them? And number two, what do we talk about that, that does get us remembered? And when an athlete first becomes interested, there's that initial back and forth. They're excited to start this conversation with you as their recruiter, as a college coach. And then something happens. The coach starts... Uh, to jump through and go through their process for recruiting, which means, okay, good, I'm talking to you on the phone, or you replied to my email, 
when can you come to campus? Um, and, and when can you send in your application? And, and when are you going to decide? And it's this rush because you as a coach are in a rush to get this done. And I understand that. But for the recruit, what you really need to understand is that they're looking for a story to be told for them and to them by you about their program and about about the school and why they should consider your uh, your institution and your program. So as you're going through and you're worried about them getting bored or forgetting about us, what we would recommend is on a regular basis, and for us that's every six to nine days is what the research says, an athlete needs you to tell them or to really answer the question for them, Here's oh, Coach, why should I come to your school? Why is it that I should pick you? And that's something that is is critical that you answer. If you're answering that question for them every six to nine days, Jeremy, you are not going to bore them. They will not forget about you. In fact, over time, what we have found is that they become almost irresistibly drawn to you, even if you're not the first program on their list. It becomes something that they really, really want to, um, to to gravitate to because you're the one that's answering their questions. So just try to do that. Um, eliminate what's not boring. Become more consistent and tell a story that answers the question, here's why you should pick me. Not here's why I'm interested in you, although that's important. The core question is, why should I pick you, coach? So try that and watch to see if you begin to see a different reaction from your recruits. Second question we got is from Tracy, and she asked, now that first contacts are over for the new class of recruits, what's the best way to continue to keep them interested? How do you keep them interested for that long haul? And I touched on it in answering Jeremy's question, and I'll just add to the fact that that uh, you, you actually, Tracy, phrased it the right way. Uh, keeping them interested for the long haul. That is something that most coaches don't plan for, and they don't view the recruiting process as the long haul, whereas recruits and their parents very much do. Recruits and the parents uh, that that you might be contacting and talking to look at this as an elongated, drawn-out process. And again, much much like an election, which I'll go back to that theme, the reason you know we might get tired of it because it's it's over a year now that that we're we're um, uh, looking at candidates and listening to them talk and make their case. Well, there are parts of that where we need a long time to figure out which candidate for us is best. And in the same way, your recruit is trying to figure out why should I talk to you? Why why should I be interested in you? And who wants me the most? And one of the things that we find recruits doing is they will actually measure coaches and, and are they doing a good job over a long period of time? Do they stick with me? Do they continue to contact me as one of the measurement tools for figuring out is this a um, is this a place where I want to go? Is this a coach that I want to uh, to talk to? So keeping them interested for the long haul is it really goes back to answering that key question. But just the fact that you that you are doing that, that you are committing to the time of answering questions and to telling the story is going to win you points. And that's, I think, the best, the best way that we have figured out how to plan something for the long haul 
Um, so hopefully that answered the question, uh, you know, partially what I answered for Jeremy and then what I added for you, Tracy, answers that question. Um, if you have questions related to what we're going to talk about today or anything related to recruiting, again, just uh, go to me on Twitter, message me, or just ask it uh, by using at Dan Tudor, and we'll pull it out and answer it on the next podcast. Uh, but I really appreciate the questions. And uh, with that, uh, let's get to today's big interview. How much do you care about your individual brand, coach? That's not a question that we find a lot of college recruiters ask themselves, but there's one coach who does, and he has impressed me for years in the way that he markets himself to both his recruits, his team, and his future employers. And uh, what makes him interesting is that he is not uh, a multi-million dollar head coach. He's an assistant coach, has been for some time, and I have no doubt at some point he is going to be a head coach. Uh, But Jeff Osterman is an assistant basketball coach at the University of South Florida. He and I have been friends for years. I respect the heck out of him. He has spoken at our National Collegiate Recruiting Conference that we do every June for college coaches. Uh, And what makes him different than most coaches, I find, is the way that he puts an emphasis on his own personal brand. Uh, From the website that he does bearing his name to the materials that he'll hand to a recruit and and just ready to hand to anybody that that might uh, be able to further his basketball coaching career, he is one of the best in the business, in my opinion. And the reason I specifically chose him for this topic was because he isn't a head coach. Uh, He is not a household name yet. And and I think that many of you that are listening to this probably put yourself in the same situation or the or in that same category. Then maybe some of you are thinking, well, when I become a head coach, I'll worry about my brand, or when I run my own program or or have a higher salary, I'll then worry about um, how I brand myself and what what kind of story I tell to my recruits or to my players. And Jeff Osterman blows all that out of the water and does a great job at making the case as to why every coach should be concerned with his or her own brand. And that's what we talked to him about recently uh, as, as we kind of explore this topic of how do you build and brand yourself not only for your recruits, but for your team. Uh, so with that, we started our conversation with Coach Osterman. So, Coach, the first thing that I want to ask is why should a college coach care about their own personal brand? Dan, I I think the biggest thing is you have to invest in yourself. And I think it it separates you. It makes you different. And there's only one person that's going to take care of your brand, and that's you. Uh, I don't think it should be limited because of... You're not a head coach or only a Division One or things like that. I think your brand can separate you from so many others. So if you're an assistant coach like yourself, and I could hear a lot of assistant coaches starting to listen to this and say, well, I've got so many other things to do, and I'm not a head coach yet. When I'm a head coach, 
then I'll worry about my brand. Why, why would you make the case to an assistant that their brand is important and they need to start working on it now rather than later? I think you got to put value in today. I believe um, it's building you up. And if that future step means being a head coach, I think you have to have proven it already. There has to be some sense of value. Uh, You have to be an expert in certain things. But also, I believe it's uh, the good factor that you need to build up all of the good because when something negative or wrong happens, that there has been proof of all the good things that you've done in your brand, which is really you, and everything that you've accomplished, not just on the court or on the field, but in the community or classroom or different honors. And uh, so I think it's also a preventative method. When you apply for a job, of course, that's when coaches, I think, suddenly start worrying about their brand. Um, How have you seen that affect coaches and and maybe even yourself in terms of when you hear about a job opening and there's an application process and you're trying to set yourself apart, where does the branding come in there that you've seen? Both, Both maybe on the good and bad side successes because of it and uh, and maybe some not-so-good outcomes because of it. I think back in the day, you used to do your resume and, uh, you know, Times New Roman, 11 font, ivory paper, <laughs> and you would send it in. And these days, that's probably the last part you send in. So you're trying to, if you're going after that dream job, I think you try to connect the dots. And then you're trying to get the school or university to learn as much about you as quick as possible. But it has to be authentic. I don't think you can just have references call. And I think branding via social media or a website or things like that, that they can tell the website's had you know 50,000 hits. It's something that wasn't just created. So I think, again... Part of coaching in many sports, I think that athletic director or president, it's important that they win, quote unquote, the press conference that everybody in that community really feels proud about, hey, so-and-so is our new coach and follow him or her on Twitter. Go look at the website and it's not just a resume. I think it's a resume plus other different things. It could be a technical. I believe you have to add value, be technical, uh, be an expert in whatever your area or craft is. I, I like the fact of incorporating family and fun and different things that are important to me. Into your brand. Into my brand. So let, let's talk about that for a second, because uh, the reason I wanted to talk to you, because I think of, uh, of many of the coaches that I've met as an assistant, certainly you probably are the best one at branding yourself and sort of establishing your own uh, your own brand as a coach. And I guess maybe walk me through what you did to kind of start thinking about what do I want my brand to be? Because again, a coach that's listening to this that has never thought about developing their own brand is going to say, okay, where do I start? So what did you do first? And maybe, maybe just go into the thought process of why you felt you needed to do all of this? Because it's extra work and it goes beyond just the X's and O's. 
It is. I think I wanted to stay relevant and tech savvy with everything. So years ago, uh, I started a website. I think it was like GoDaddy.com, something you did all by yourself. Buy your own domain name and set up your website. And it was just something that I started to do, and it was really rough, but it taught me a lot more about graphics and web design and things like that. And uh, so that's where I kind of came up with CoachHosterman.com. And from there, uh, it's something that it was just, I thought it was fun. And social media was a boom. And the one I had done a lot, but Twitter is where I dedicated myself to. So at Coach Osterman. But the website was something that I did the resume. I've added community aspect. I've added fun, cooking, different New York Yankees, whatever those sacred things, I call them coins, are. Um, But then I I met a fella and he actually runs websites and he took mine over. I still do all the day-to-day, but he is kind of the brains behind it. So I can add a page, edit a page, and I link it to my social media and from there, um, I do a lot on Twitter that I will, through Hootsuite, uh, line up really pre-program uh, three to four tweets a day, and usually a quote, something motivational, something to make you think. And then I will also start doing uh, a play. It started as a play of the week. Now it's almost a play of the day. And I think it just drives more traffic that if you met somebody somewhere else, uh, and you see it even on Twitter, coaches to follow. And uh, so my name is out there more. So I think a lot of people probably know Coach Osterman more than Jeff Osterman or Coach Jeff Osterman. Just because there's always a play, I'm always trying to do different mail-outs or handouts on different notes. And I've kind of made myself an open book. I started a basketball newsletter that's up to, I think, like 8,000 people. So, again, I think just adding value Um but it, it was pretty simple. Uh, I've always offered to share, and it, it wasn't as hard or as intimidating as I thought. Mm-hmm. And uh, every coach, whatever your sport is, you always have a recruiting tip or a great play. Uh, and I think it's great to share. And there's so many people that just want to follow, and that's kind of how we all learn. You mentioned something in the, you were just talking about that is a daily activity. And I think that right there, that would probably intimidate a lot of coaches. Well, I don't have time during the day. It's you know, and he's hired his own website guy, and all of a sudden you start to build up these reasons why that is impossible to do because you know I'm only a Division three coach, or I don't have the D one budget that South Florida has, or whatever it is. There's that excuse that's built in. Can you just talk about what you see as the benefit for your brand, and and even how recruits look at you and the program? and how parents are engaging with that brand, but the benefits of being engaged with it daily. I think it's part of my routine. I plan the night before I plan everything for my day. Um, But it wasn't always. I mean, I guess that's my point, that you're having to make this decision to make it part of your daily routine. It's not something that you're just naturally inclined to add something else to your schedule. So maybe talk about that process of, of getting that started, I mean, again, when you first started writing on the website daily, or now you're you're doing Twitter, and I, every coach I think struggles with what I'm talking about, which is how do I do this on a regular basis? You figured out a way. Uh, you know, as coaches, we write our recruiting letters. I try to come in the office 
get a coffee and knock out my recruiting notes for the day or for the week. But I'll also at that time, I'm just kind of a routine person that I will post a few things on Twitter. Now, Twitter, for example, I could be tweeting right now, but I've programmed it last night. So really for my Twitter, I take one evening, it could be a Saturday watching television. It's easy to do and you can copy and paste and there's shortcuts. But my Twitter for a month, I load it up one month at a time. So when I get busy during the season or traveling or different things, my brand is still constant. Uh, without you thinking about without it. Without me thinking about it, because I took that one evening, a couple hours one evening, to line up my tweets for a month. And you do that through Hootsuite, you said, which is something where you can, again, preload all of your tweets since you design whatever the schedule is. And I... I use Buffer, which is the same same concept where you get to preload things and still allows you to tweet on the fly. But I guess maybe talk about the social media part for a second. You know, that is, I think, a continuing mystery for coaches. How do I, what should I be doing on social media and not only to build up my own brand, but certainly to connect with recruits and alumni and boosters. How have you seen social media as it's risen be incorporated into your brand successfully? I think it's two fronts because Facebook used to be young and in, but that's now parents. The kids, Mm -hmm. I find, really aren't Facebook because mom and dad are on Facebook. And they're going, you know, Twitter is kind of at a rise. I think good for still kids and parents. Uh, Snapchat, different things are coming. But through, say, my Twitter... I think it gives people insight, a snapshot of to who I am, how I would coach their most precious gift, their daughter, their child. So I think that connection, I can tell when people follow me and bring up different lines or things I tweet uh, that are authentic, but it also gives them a comfort level, I think, of where their child may end up. Um, You know, and then I think you have to add the authentic, fun, silly insight of, you know, it's not just some stiff shirt tie, but it's also, you know, if you're a parent, uh, you know, or uh, pictures or videos of your team in just different settings. Um, But I think even through that and the basketball newsletter that I do, I get more blind cold calls about kids. Um, Coach, there's a girl either at our school or in our area or someone we played last night. And the newsletter really was is goes to college coaches and club coaches, high school coaches, but it's never been a point of just a recruiting tool. I rarely bring up a good victory, a tough loss, but I think through, quote, being an expert or authentic, uh, I think there's a comfort level between the high school coaches, club coaches, that the brand of Coach Osterman uh, has grown. So I do get a bunch of tips and Uh, references, but I think it's something that, quote, older coaches, you have to jump into it because that's how kids are doing everything and parents are doing it because they want to make sure they're paying attention to their child. So I think social media is is here to stay and there's good and bad um, dangers about it. And of course, that's electronic. It's free. It's, you know, you're able to do a lot of it yourself. The one thing that I admire about what you've done with your brand is you've actually gone and done the extra work and, I'm assuming, a decent amount of expense personally towards printed materials. 
Um, so you have you know sort of the Jeff Osterman view book that that is there for whatever professional purposes you would need it for, but then also for recruits and and I guess I'm just wondering why do you see the value in printed material that sort of incorporates your brand that becomes in a sense your brochure where a lot of coaches would say well okay I'll, I'll buy into the social media but really printing stuff coach but why why would you say here's why you should consider it I think a lot of people if you view it as a parent of a recruit but if you're chasing that next job or different things our older generation still likes something tangible paper in their hands something they can touch not just on the internet. And I think, again, if you're looking at resumes and they're all on the ivory paper, uh, and then all of a sudden you have one that comes in that's a little bit different size, feel, shape, color pictures, different fonts, and uh, it kind of tells a story. I think, again, you're looking to differentiate. You're looking to be different, separate yourself from other people. So if it's recruiting or job or whatever it is, I think you always want to be a little bit different. And we're sitting in your office on the campus of the University of South Florida, which is well-branded with the Bulls. But the other thing that anybody that walks in your office is going to notice is a lot of New York Yankees stuff. You have the Derek Jeter book. You have the New York Yankee Garden Gnome. You have you in a, a Yankees jersey. You have a little plaque of George Steinbrenner with him talking. What have you learned about branding from the Yankees? There's so many things. You know, to me, I call it a coin. The Yankee, a coin is something you love that just makes you a little bit different. So the Yankees, of course, are one of my uh, number one coins. But the Yankee brand, I think it's grown. Just the interlocking NY uh, has just taken off that. It's worldwide. It's probably timeless. It will never go away. And uh, I think the brand evokes emotion. Uh, Some people will smile and love it. Some people will scowl. Um, that uh, it just brings emotion. You could talk, if it's a personal brand, again, it comes down to, you know, an expert in a certain field. I think there's uh, there's so many brands that are outstanding, and then you also see brands that crash that have to, uh, you know, Martha Stewart was a great brand that crashed. Paula Dean is one, and, you know, there's many. Tiger Woods is another brand that crashed, and, and then it, probably twice as much if you get that chance to kind of come back. Um, But there are brands that uh, go beyond just their specific sport. If it's the New York Yankees, because the NY is kind of beyond baseball. If it's Oprah, who originally maybe people would think, some would think magazine, some would think talk show, some would think just a person. Um, you know, I always say the biggest brand to me was Jesus. Like that brand has been timeless and will be timeless. So um, it, it's unique. So if you had a coach that's listening to this and they're buying into the idea that, okay, as a coach, I need to brand, I get it. What are the first three things that you would tell a coach to do in establishing their brand? I think something, your, your, if it's Twitter, your handle or your website, Uh, your domain name, make it something that is you, your brand. It could be Coach Jeff Osterman or Coach Osterman. And and I would lock those things up. And it's something that 
you make it easy, you put it on your letterhead, your stationery, or you just kind of jump in. So I think first... And I'll interrupt you right there because I think a lot of coaches think, oh, domain name, that's really complicated and it probably costs hundreds of dollars to reserve a domain name. Actual cost is... Probably less than Starbucks visit, I would say. <laughs> You're talking probably five, six, yeah. seven dollars to reserve your name. And I always look at that as that's real estate. There's yeah. nobody else that can have a Coach Osterman or whatever your name is. And if you can grab your name, you know, I years ago, 15, 20 years ago, I grabbed dantutor.com because even though there's not a lot of Dan Tudors running around, I didn't want to be, you know, competing with uh, with anybody else. So I just wanted to make that clear that this is not an expensive proposition. You can go to – you type in domain names into Google, and you'll get probably 15, 20 options of cheap ways to reserve your name. So just wanted to make sure coaches knew that. So yeah. that's point number one. So go ahead with the other yeah, two Yeah, not points. very scary. It's easy to do, I would think. Uh, you know, at the higher levels, uh, those people are buying up firedantutor.com <laughs> or dantutor. <laughs> You know, stinks.com. Leave my wife and mother out of this, Jeff. <laughs> uh, so that would be the first step I would take. And then I would kind of research. You can Google search. You can Twitter search just coaches or basketball and find people that have done it successfully. I think uh, there's a lot of people that when I started, I reached out to and asked, why did you do it? And, and I'm one. And I think a lot of people in our industry uh, share. And I think you've got to be, like we tell our student-athletes, if you don't know a play or a drill, ask. Uh, So that would probably be the second thing. And then the third thing uh, is is just be authentic. Be who you are, I think. um, It sounds like be consistent, too. Going back to your daily routine, it has to become a daily routine to brand yourself. Yeah, and I think you commit to it. Be authentic to who you are and what you stand for and your values and things like that. But... Um, commitment, it's in, there's a lot of shortcuts that you can do to help save you time. The time invested isn't a lot, but uh, to grow the brand, uh, I think you have to put in time to add value to whatever you want. Last question. What have you, just as we talk about all of the sort of the ways to do it and why you should and the consistency it requires and sort of the mechanics of it, can you give me and any coach that's listening the one big thing that you feel all of this has done for you? And, and if there's a payoff, what have you seen that the, the number one payoff be of really paying a lot of attention to developing your brand? I think the biggest payoff is just the ability to pay things forward. For me, I now get requests or calls or emails about it could be a certain basketball play. It could be to speak at a clinic. It could be to do uh, an interview or give advice to a parent. And a lot of it is even different sports. So for me, I think I had some great mentors and people that invested in me. So that's what really drives, I think, my brand is the ability to uh, you know, get those phone calls and to help other people. So that, for me, is my answer. <laughs> 
Okay, that'll wrap things up. Great advice on how to brand yourself and your program from Coach Jeff Osterman. If you have questions about that topic or anything else in recruiting, ask me on Twitter, at Dan Tudor, and we'll answer them next time. Until then, keep investing in your college coaching career by learning to become a dominant recruiter.